Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. On today's show, we've heard about the power of the Latino vote in Arizona, which could reorient state politics. But has that change materialized, or will it in the near future? This week, we dig into the factors driving the Latino vote and look at what it will take to get those voters to the ballot box. We speak with Jaime Molera, a Republican Party strategist in Phoenix. You have a third of the population Latino, but only a fifth are registered voters. And of those registered voters, you know, a much smaller percentage actually vote on a consistent basis. We'll also hear from Lisa Sanchez, a political science professor at the University of Arizona who specializes in Latino voters. They're on sort of the precipice of being able to change elections, but at this point, if there's not some sort of mobilization efforts that are really stepped up, they're not going to turn out. And we'll wrap up with a look back at this week's debate in Arizona's 2nd Congressional District. In 2016, it seemed like all we heard was that the sleeping giant of the Latino vote was going to awake. It didn't. This year, it's no longer a main point of election analysis. I asked Jaime Moleta, why not? You know, I've been hearing that for 20 years. Uh, it's been uh, um, long in coming. I, I think there's a couple of factors. I, I still believe, even though Arizona has a third of its population Latino, we only have a fifth that vote. And I've been critical of the Republican Party not being aggressive enough and engaging Latino voters. But on, on, on the other side of the coin, Democrats don't do a good job also. I, I just don't see either political party being aggressive and going out and, and, and going after those votes. I, I think on the Democrat side, it tends to be, well, they're already with us, so there's no reason to be aggressive. And the Republican side, they feel like, well, they're not going to vote for us, so I go after them. So I think both parties need to look at long-term how they start to engage with Latino voters. Is it true anymore, though, that Latino voters are, at least in Arizona, with Democrats and not with Republicans? No, it's still true, by and large. I mean, if you look at the numbers, uh, Democrats tend to do better with the Latino vote. But there are certain candidates that have been able to, over the years— uh, do very well in the Latino base. John McCain was a great example. Aside from maybe the election against Barack Obama when he ran for president, he did very well in all of his senatorial races uh, with the Latino vote, sometimes going over 50%, but by and large, about about half of the vote came to him. But let's face it, other candidates haven't done so well on the Republican ticket. And I think they need to really start thinking about long-term, how do they start to approach that base? How do they approach the base? If you if you were king of the Republican Party for a day or for a, or for an election cycle, how do they approach the Latino base? I think having candidates, Leo Marcus Peterson, great example. She's running in Congressional District 2, a very serious candidate, a businesswoman, heads up the Tucson Hispanic Chamber. I think that helps quite a bit when you have strong candidates that are Latino that would, I think, be attractive to go to Latino communities and say, look, you know, I'm one of you and, and, and this is what I stand for and help future voters to understand, well, she or he is not too far from us. I also think that the Republican Party needs to just do the blocking and tackling like to do everywhere else. Spend money, get out the vote, uh, start to advertise more and channels or outlets that, that reach the Latino population. It's not rocket science. It's something I think that they should be done uh, more aggressively. We're talking with Jaime Moleta. You mentioned John McCain before, and after he died, one of his very close advisors said if John McCain had had to pick his successor, he would have picked a Latina. 
a Hispanic woman. Surprised by that? Not, not really. I, I had an opportunity to get to know Senator McCain, and he was very good about that. I mean, as good as far as reaching out to the Latino community and being very strong and, and understanding what, the, what it meant for the Republican Party long term. And for conservative principles long term, he felt that the Latino community was more aligned with Republican philosophy uh, than Democrats. And he really believed that. And so that's why I think he was uh, one of the few that really made that a, a focal point of his campaign. So, and he was one, when he ran, he did put his money where his mouth is. They invested in Latino outreach, and they spent money on Latino uh, outlets and really went after that community. If 2016 was supposed to be the year that the, the sleeping giant of the Latino vote awoke, as you said, you'd heard it for 20 years why are we not hearing so much talk about it in 2018? Is it because it's a midterm and not a presidential year? Possibly. You know, it's interesting that you would think you'd hear about it more just because if the Democrats are going to be successful, and particularly uh, their candidate for governor, David Garcia, being Latino, would need to really perform well. They're, they're going to need to get out the vote significantly within their Democratic base in order to overcome the Republican uh, registered voter advantage. And the Latino outreach is going to be a big part of that uh, effort if they're going to be successful, uh, not just in his race, but on, on all the tickets. But I just haven't seen that yet. And again, it goes back to my point where I think sometimes they take for granted, oh, well, they're just going to be with us. And, and I think they're going to do that at their peril. Are we getting to a point in Arizona just because of our demographics that any voter outreach is Latino voter outreach on both sides? Not so much. Not yet. I think there's a couple of factors. The Latino population in Arizona is still very, very young. And, and as we know, young voters still really aren't voting the way other age groups or demographics are voting. Over time, I think that will happen but just because of the numbers. Uh, right now, you have a majority of kids that are graduating high school in Arizona are Latino. So over 50%. So eventually it will happen. But I think right now each party needs to be aggressive in how do they market, how do they target, and how do they do that, get out the vote in the uh, Latino community. Do you have to market differently to the Latino community than you do to other communities? Or is it just more of a targeted make sure they see the message as you would with any other community, putting your message in the right places for those communities to see it? I'll give you an example. If you go and live in the Catalina foothills, I would bet you're going to get dozens of phone calls from uh, the direct marketing organizations trying to get you to vote for their particular candidate or for their particular issue. They're probably going to get more than dozens of direct mail pieces. You're going to have a lot of signs and you're going to have a lot of target because those are areas that vote at a very high level. You go to South Tucson and I would wager you're not going to get that same kind of attention. You're not going to get those touches that you normally would. And, and it's really because campaigns with limited budgets, usually, they will try and go to those individuals they know vote and that have that propensity to vote. And so the problem is, is that the cycle repeats itself. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They just don't go after those voters because they figure, well, they're not going to vote anyway, so I'm going to go to those target-rich environments. It sounds like in order to uh, get the Latino vote, the first thing you have to do is register Latinos. And the second thing you have to do is just get them to go to the polls so they start getting the phone calls in the mail. 
Now, there's been some candidates in some areas. Danny Valenzuela, who's running for mayor of the city of Phoenix, has put together a very impressive organization and a Latino outreach. But that's just for his campaigns. When he ran for city council, I know that's going to be a big part of his mayoral campaign, is how do we, or how does he get out to Latino voters? And how does he, again, touch them and make them understand how important it is for them to be voting? And if you look at different areas of the state, too, I think uh, Latino votes within Arizona are much, much different, one part of the state versus another part of the state. Can you give me an example of that? So in 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 uh, southern Arizona, again, I use the, the John Kyle and John McCain example. They did extremely well in the border areas, Nogales and Yuma, Douglas. I remember John Kyle did extremely well in southern Arizona. Now, he didn't do so well in Pima County in Tucson, but on the border areas where people liked his his positions on immigration, uh, but they also liked his positions on border and border security, uh, job creations. Those are the kinds of things that appeal to a Latino living on the border versus maybe uh, Latinos living in big cities of Tucson and Phoenix. That was Jaime Moleta, a Republican Party strategist based in Phoenix. A coalition of groups called One Arizona estimates that this year alone they registered nearly 200,000 voters, many of them Latino. We stopped a few local Latino voters on the U of A campus and near the main library in downtown Tucson. We asked whether they're registered and planning to vote. Most said yes. A lot of things are at stake. A lot of things that matter a lot to me and to my community. And so it's important that we make our voices heard. Uh, I just want to vote for someone who like represents my values. I don't know. I think it's like your right to do it. So I might as well use it. Right now, I'm not planning on voting, even though I'm registered, um, because I really don't have the time to look into every political point of view. Uh, you just don't want to vote blindly. It's been a couple of years since I haven't voted, because uh, these presidents say they, they promise too, too, too many promises, and, and it's just getting worse all the time. I'm independent right now, and I just don't want to deal with anything with the politics. We're very corrupted right now. Uh, yes, I do. I think uh, it's important for everyone to provide a voice, um, especially in like the elections that have been happening in the past couple of years. And I think it's important whether I am Latina or not to cast my vote. Those were the voices of voters Andra Soria, Ruben Tovac, Veronica Paz, Hilda Cortez, and Jesus Ruiz. This week, we're talking about the power of the Latino vote in Arizona. Lisa Sanchez is a professor at the University of Arizona School of Government and Public Policy. I asked her the same question I gave Jaime Moleta. What happened to the so-called sleeping giant of the Latino vote? Well, I mean, I think that's a bit of a misnomer. There's certainly the potential for Latino voters and Hispanic voters. I'll use those interchangeably. Certainly the potential for them to turn out and vote and really change sort of electoral tides. The problem is that they don't vote in high rates. You can think of uh, Latino voting as sort of a funnel. And so you start with sort of the entire population of Latino voters at the top, and then you sort of funnel them down by, well, are they of age? Latinos tend to be very, very young in this country, and especially in the state of Arizona. So age knocks them out. And then after you knock out by age, you start to knock out by things like eligibility. Um, so are you a naturalized citizen? Are you registered to vote is another huge one. And then sort of at the bottom of that funnel, you get sort of this small sort of trickle of Latino voters who are eligible and then who finally do turn out to vote. So they could. They're on sort of the precipice of being able to change elections. But at this point, if there's not some sort of mobilization efforts that are really stepped up, they're not going to turn out. 
according to the census, about 31% of Arizona falls into that category of Latino, Hispanic. Do we know how many of them are registered to vote? Yeah. So according to sort of data that comes out of 2016, so it's, you know, a little bit dated, two years. Um, So about uh, 47.2% of Latinos actually meet the basic eligibility requirements. But there's only 40% of of that 31% that are actually eligible to vote and are registered. So you're talking a lot about mobilization. What is it that will mobilize that 40% of the 31%, those who are eligible to vote in the Latino community? That's the $64,000 question. Um, There have been bunches of sort of mobilization drives. Voto Latino goes out and tries to get millennials engaged. Now, one of sort of the the interesting facets of Latinos in Arizona is that they're high level of millennials, which is sort of a double-edged sword, right, for mobilization. So Latinos have lower voting rates, and then millennials have a lot lower voting rates. So part of it is interesting issues like immigration, But, you know, it's been an issue in the past. It hasn't stirred them before. So the question is, what will in the future? We keep talking about the Latino vote. And by we, I mean you and I and and everybody else out there. Is it a solid block or is it more fractured? It's pretty well aligned with the Democratic Party. It's usually a supermajority in the 60s and 70 percent who are, you know, registered Democrats and leaning Democrat. So it's pretty solid in that way. But that's still leaving that huge block of about 30 percent. And a lot of those tend to be independents. And those are really the wild cards. There's a small portion that are Republicans. And those tend to be sort of from different countries of origin, like Cuba, some from Guatemala. Are there ideological divides within the Latino community that account for those percentages? Yeah, so they do. So part of it has to do with their immigration story. The immigration stories for Cubans versus Puerto Ricans, who were very similar, right? They're sort of twins separated at birth. Those two stories are are very different in terms of one being well received in terms of Cubans and even kind of having national programs to help them assimilate to U.S. society versus Puerto Ricans who are citizens, but still sort of not treated sort of in the same in the same way that you would see, you know, a good reception. And then you think about the largest piece of this, which is Mexicans. You know, they're sort of our newest population, immigrant population flow, and our oldest. And through time, they've had trouble with their reception in the U.S. So part of it is that it depends on how they're received and sort of their socioeconomic status. Are there specific issues that will unite that Latino block regardless of the letter after their name, D-R-I? Yes and no. So, I mean, there are certain sort of divides that can't really be stemmed by just an issue, right? So everybody agrees that education in, in terms of Latinos, and I think of the population in total, everybody agrees education is important. But when you get into means, that's when you sort of start to divide. Means and ends are, are a very different story, even though we can really come together on, well, we need to do something about education. We're talking with Dr. Lisa Sanchez, a political scientist at the University of Arizona. We've been talking about Latino voters, but what about Latino office holders or at least candidates? Are Latinos running for office more at the lower level of the ballot, if you will, legislature, city council, county board of supervisors? And does that messaging differ when they move up the ballot towards Congress, governor, other executive positions? 
Yeah, so what we call it in in the profession is down ballot candidates, um, and those usually are sort of plagued by having low, you know, low voter response, right? Um, and so in that way, you know, they have less visibility, and people really don't understand their their platforms as well when they're down ballot. And I think there's a, a very strong segment of the Latino office holders who are those down ballot candidates. But we are seeing nationally sort of a move upwards. I mean, we have Sonia Sotomayor as Supreme Court Justice, which is huge, right? And so sort of research also finds that when you have those really big national office holders, it spurs Latino voters to actually get out and vote. And they feel like they're sort of a, um, like they belong in politics. Like it's a place that they should be active. In Arizona, we have David Garcia running for governor. Will having a Latino at the top of the the statewide ballot, at the very least, will that make a difference on turnout? That's the hope. And that's partially for two reasons, sort of this psychological feeling of belonging in politics. And second, he's made a big effort to actually mobilize, go into neighborhoods that are high Latino populations and talk with them. And I think he's well received in those in those places. You know, he's sort of a, a homegrown phenomenon. So, I mean, I think that will help. Will it help enough to sort of change the sort of big red state blue? That's the question. A new report from Naleo, the National Association of Latino Elected and Appointed Officials, uh, said 60 percent of Latino voters who they polled had yet to be contacted by a campaign during this election season. Is that a surprising number? No. It's not surprising in terms of somebody who studied this for a while, but it should be shocking in terms of thinking about the political process, right? As a democratic sort of phenomenon, we want these candidates to get out there and to to really engage with the different populations and kind of see what, you know, what they want and what they need from this process. And if that's not happening for a piece of our population that's just skyrocketing, that's a problem. When it comes to reaching out to Latino voters, be it in Arizona or anywhere else, do candidates need to reach out differently? Is it just a language issue or is it more than that? That's kind of an open question. Um, And there's a good bit of research that's being done on that right now. And it does help um, in terms of sort of having a different, you know, being able to breach these language barriers. Other parts is sort of, I think, authenticity is a problem, right? So people who are sort of claiming to be Latino, and not to say that, you know, you can't sort of say that your your ethnicity is Latino, but maybe not well in touch um, with the Latino population and sort of what issues are really affecting them. Yeah, I think that's a huge problem for the mobilization. In Arizona right now, the census numbers put the Latino population at about 30%. If that number gets closer to 50, does that make a big change in the Latino vote? Does the sleeping giant, as we talk about, finally awake? That's the hope. So some of my research touches on that. And part of it is that they just have enough numbers that politicians have to pay attention, right? Otherwise, they're not going to be reelected. But you still hit on that issue of do they come out and vote? And, you know, basic statistics will teach you that the more of the population you have, the more likely they are to vote. So it's likely that that'll have a big effect. And they'll also be aging at that point. So the, the ages catch up. Well, yeah, I mean, there's some really good statistics out there that talk about, you know, every 60 seconds, a certain couple thousand Latino voters become eligible just based on the age requirement. That's going to be big in terms of of sort of coming of age of this population, especially in Arizona. Lisa Sanchez is a professor at the University of Arizona School of Government and Public Policy. We're going back to the Latino voters you met earlier. We also asked them if they think their vote matters. Every, every person's vote matters, so 
the more people who vote and speak their voice, like the better for everyone, because I feel like a lot of people aren't voting that can. For sure, I think in overall it does matter to vote, um, especially if if everyone does it. For sure, there will be a side that will be uh, shown. Uh, yes, I think my vote matters just as much as anybody else in this world. <laughs> One individual vote doesn't really make a difference, but what we need to do is make sure that everyone understands that as a group, it matters. And the only way that it's going to matter as a group is if everyone votes as an individual. I've grown up thinking that it does matter and that it makes a difference. So, yeah, I hope it does. And I hope it does this election. Those were again the voices of voters Carlos Hidalgo, Andra Soria, Veronica Paz, Hilda Cortez, and Jesus Ruiz. Many of those voters said they've seen or heard political ads this season, but only a couple said they've been directly contacted by a campaign. Now to one of those races Latino voters in Arizona will weigh in on. Democrat Ann Kirkpatrick and Republican Leah Marquez-Peterson are vying to represent Southern Arizona's 2nd Congressional District in the U.S. House. That's the district that includes the eastern part of the Tucson metro area and all of Cochise County. The two candidates faced each other in a debate earlier this week. We invited four voters to watch the debate, then discuss what they heard from both candidates. With different parties and professions, all four have deep ties to CD2. Democrat Gary Jones, a geophysicist who grew up in Cochise County and now lives in Tucson. I had the great pleasure to grow up and go to public schools in Douglas, Arizona, K-12. Republican Cammie Quist, who owns a restaurant near the University of Arizona. I was a stay-at-home mom for a while, and then once my son became school age, I started with small business. Republican Ed Biggers, who moved to Tucson in 1983 and climbed the ranks at Hughes Aircraft Company. I ended up being the president of the Hughes Missile Group, and uh, I serve as the advisor to the engineering school, DOA. And Debbie Hickman, an educator and chairwoman of the Cochise County Democrats. And I have spent a lot of time teaching in Sierra Vista and doing enormous amount of other work, too. All four came to the debate, supporting their party's candidate. The night didn't change their minds, but it gave them an opportunity to explain their differences. The Democrats don't decide, the Republicans don't decide. In this district, the people in the middle decide. So I think the task for both Anne Patrick and for Leah Marquez-Peterson is how are the people in the middle hearing their message? So I see that the one that resonates best with those people in the middle, that's the one that will win, and it might be blue and it might be red. Do you all, as, as voters in a purple district, uh, as you all have said, view this election, this midterm election, as a referendum on the Trump presidency? I think the midterm election has always, uh, has always been a problem for the party in power, and, uh, and I think more so this year because of the uh, president and his behavior. I voted for President Trump because I, I wanted to see tax policy changed. I, uh, I wanted to see Supreme Court justices that would be similar to my view of what they would be uh, in terms of how they viewed the Constitution. But uh, I think that uh, President Trump has uh, behaved in such a way to increase the the level of hostility that happens to be existing in the country, and and I think yes, this uh, that, that will be that will be tested in this election. A key aspect to think for all people in CD2 to think about this year is what should the Congress do 
in the next session, over the next two years. And I think one of the key functions is to hold the administration accountable. And uh, that's best done with, with the Democrats in control of, of, of Congress. So I think in that sense it is, it is, uh, it is uh, important and it is uh, imperative that uh, everybody vote to have their voice heard. I feel like there's so much partisan Democrats versus Republican, it's your fault, it's your fault, that if I run my business the way Washington is being run currently with all the fighting, that nothing gets done. So I guess I just feel like it's extremely important to get out there and vote. But on the opposite, I feel like if the Democrats get in, we might as well move to Canada. My boyfriend's Canadian. Because honestly, under Obama, it was awful. And in the last two years, I disagree with you. I think Trump has opened up the small business. I think we've been able to hire more employees. I've been able to open a second store. You all are involved in the community, be it through work with a church, private businesses, small businesses, uh, education. What do you tell people about what's going on right now? And as private citizens, is there anything you can do individually to reach out and maybe get rid of some of this divide? I think just respect. I respect your opinion, I respect your opinion, and I think we all should respect each other. And I think that there's good things on, on both sides. I would love to have a discussion and, and hear your side of things. And also, I haven't run a huge business like that, but I have to run my business. Right. And for you to hear how the minimum wage affected me, what we had to do, our costs and our struggles, because that's how I think you're really gonna bridge the gap and become a community. There are some, some things that the Republicans and the, and the Democrats can really work on together. There needs to be immigration reform, and I'm frustrated that there's not immigration reform. I'm frustrated with the DACA thing. I, I mean, it makes no sense to me that somebody say, well, we need to ship those people out of the country. What I hear a lot is just a kind of callousness on the part of any issues like that that we find just ridiculous and abhorrent. I agree and, with you. And, yeah, and, <laughs> and I need to hear more Republicans who are saying what you just said about yeah. DACA. It's atrocious. I totally agree. I, know. I totally agree and as well. And I, I just want your voice to rise because your leaders in Congress are not saying that. On this night, no one changed anyone's minds, but they did find some common ground. To watch the debate between Republican Leah Marquez-Peterson and Democrat Ann Kirkpatrick, visit our website, azpm.org. And that's the buzz for this week. A look ahead at next week. By then, you may have your early ballot. Wondering what those propositions are all about? We'll explain the initiatives and what a yes or no vote means for each. Remember, you can find all episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Zach Ziegler recorded the interview with Jaime Molera. AZPM intern Ashley Freedy recorded our Latino voter interviews. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.